This is the Ezra Podcast. Now, it's been an interesting week for me as far as getting to this podcast, but I knew I needed to get to this one. It's a big boxing week. It's a huge boxing week because it's stacked the cards, the the so many cards this weekend, and we've been kind of hit like a little slow patch of just, I mean, there was a weekend we didn't have any cards, and that was disrespectful. And then we were going to have the Eubank band card, and that got canceled. Um, Fundoro Compo made up for it, but I'm just saying that the like, it, we have it's it's been a little empty on the schedule, been light in the schedule, and I'm not used to that anymore. I've been spoiled. I want multiple cards. I want multiple screens. I want multiple things going on. I want multiple things to talk about, to prepare for, to study for. But it's been hard to get to studying this week. It's been hard to get to the, this exact podcast. But even though I'm doing this Thursday night, and I'm basically giving you a day to listen to it before the fights, it needs to come out. It needs to be out there. Okay, remember I do most of this podcast for me, not for you. I do this so I just know I said it and it was recorded. So if anyone ever says like, oh, no, you weren't right about that, check the tape. That's why I do these podcasts. Now, I want this to be known right now, just to put, put a waiver out there right now. I did cover the Shields fight. So, uh, the Shields Marshall. And I did cover Mayor Bumgarner. It is on a previous podcast. I did it before they canceled the fight. I'm not going to do it again. I can put a lot of effort into that. I still feel good about that. I do want to say just if you go back and listen to that and you go hear the prediction and hear how I think it's going to play out, there's one thing. If you, both, all four of these fighters did make weight already, and that fight was canceled and pushed off a few more weeks. So that means that they all made weight. They all redlined when they were supposed to redline. And they had to go back to training and had to go back to maintaining weight. So they had to gain the weight back and then cut it again. So I do think there's just, there is a, um, it does leave an opening for almost like randomness to play out, right? You don't know who that's going to affect. You don't know who, who's not going to be able to respond well to that. Who's going to, was harder to cut weight again. Who's barely making weight in the first place. Who, who, if they miss a red line, can't get it back. Whose energy is going to be dipped training thrown off. This, that leads some randomness to it. So when I originally saw the fight playing out, um, that was when it was supposed to happen. Now there's a huge factor. That I don't think people are talking about enough as far as having to make weight again and going back to training and all that. But that just leaves some randomness to report. So there might be, it might not look anything like that, but I want to protect myself with a little disclaimer that randomness can ensue in those cards. I, I think those are excellent cards. They're probably the most competitive fights of the weekend, most interesting fights, uh, some of the most interesting fights of the weekend for sure. But on this one, we're going to cover fights that I haven't done before. And let's get to, I think, probably the biggest card of the weekend, right, as far as attention, and that is the return of Deontay Wilder. Versus Hellenius, who, I mean, um, probably not an opponent a few years ago that we ever thought Wilder would face or one that we really even thought, like, gave attention to for that matchup. But I actually think it's a very good matchup. Maybe a better matchup than uh, most uh, most would think. Because I think Helenas and Wilder fight kind of similar in a way. Um, and maybe people don't people haven't really uh, thought of it like that. But I think they do. And I know for sure they fight the same range. I know that they both fight um, in the range that each other wants. A lot of times, that, that's what makes for the most interesting fights. 
that's and that the, people will say like, oh, how do you tell for fight of the year? For me, for like what I could tell is going to be a very good or competitive fight or just like competitive, right? Or very interesting is guys that fight in each other's ranges. Because if you fight in each other's ranges, then they're both going to be comfortable where they want to be. So you're going to get the, both of their best offenses, right? If you get a guy that likes to box and another guy that wants to get on the inside, that's two guys battling for range. That's very interesting. I'm not putting that down, but I'm just saying that doesn't always mean that you're going to get two guys' best offense. Usually that means one guy's offense is going to get eliminated or what he wants to do. And this fight, you're going to get what both guys want to do. You're going to see, to me, them at their best in that night of fighting, right? They're both going to be comfortable. Now, I feel like everybody feels like this is a slam dunk for Wilder. This is a layup. This is a tune-up. You don't know what Wilder you're going to get. Okay, This is Wilder coming off two massive defeats where he was, by the end of them, hurt pretty badly in both. You cannot tell me what Wilder you're going to get. Also, remember, Wilder is doing another complete body change, right? He gained all the muscle. Um, you don't see this a lot in boxing. You do see it in MMA, though. Uh, the example I could think of is like Frank Mir. Frank Mir was on top of the world. Then he ran to like Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar beats him up. He loses to some bigger men, right? And Frank Mir, who was like an, kind of like an average size heavyweight, suddenly just says, I'm going to put all this muscle on. I'm going to be as big as them. I'm going to be the biggest he could possibly be. And it was, he got so big at one point that he was trying to, um, he was like, Figuring out the UFC was going to allow him to weigh beyond the heavyweight limit, which was like 265. He was all muscle. Uh, I thought it seemed like to me like clearly juicing. Um, and he was going to try to weigh above 205, right? And he, so he came in really big. Uh, he has some success, and then he loses again. This size doesn't like still put him over the top with like the top guys that are really big. And when then he has like a few like, you know, like drastic changes, like his body goes back to the way it was and all those things. It, a lot of it's like usually a sign of the end, if, that, if I'm being honest. And it's, that's a lot of drastic changes for your body to go through. And then the loss is adding up. We don't know. Like, it, you really do not know how Wilder you're going to get in this fight. So we can't say it's like a slam dunk or a layup. Now, if we get the Wilder that we got maybe in the second uh, Fury fight, right? Um, the Wilder in the first Fury fight. The Wilder you got to face uh, Luis Ortiz. Yes, I would pick him to win the fight. Yes, I would go in picking him to win the fight. But if there's some slowing down, right? If he has maybe like even the gas tank issues that he had in the third Fury fight. I would say Helene has a good shot in this fight. I think even Wilder at his best... Is still gonna Helene is still gonna have some success in this fight, and I don't think that's you know uncommon for Wilder to allow his opponent to have success early in a fight. No, I don't think that's uncommon at all. I think that that's usually how it plays out, and I think it's usually that you know Wilder uh, might be competitive early or might even lose a few rounds early, and then he starts figuring out his timing, starts figuring out his distance, and starts once he puts his power together, and then it's over. Right? Then the fight's over. And Elias is not like, uh, has like an iron chin. I mean, I, th I think he has an all right chin. I think he has a, 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 I think he has a good chin. I don't think it's horrible. I mean, when Jared Washington knocked him out, it was a big right hand. It was straight through, but he had been hit with some good shots in that fight. It wasn't like he was shaky every time he got touched. It just sometimes a perfect shot lands.
you know, when this fight starts off and they're both at each other's range, I think that maybe you're going back and looking at Helenius and like the Gerald Washington performance, which was actually a bad performance until he got caught really bad. But if you look at the Kanaki fight, and not the first one, because the first one I thought, you know, I, I, I saw like, okay, you know, he was able to withstand what Kanaki had and he has power. So that kind of uh, pushed it through for him. But in the second one, I mean, he has a lot of confidence in that fight. He figured out something. He feels good on his legs. He feels good with his timing. And that that Elenius, if that's the Elenius we're going to get in this Wilder fight, he figures something out in that fight. He gained the confidence by being uh, Kanaki the first time. He gains it by getting the DQ because Kanaki's taking a beating and needs to get a kind of look for a way out of it, right, of that fight. I think this gets interesting, right? They're both going to fight at that mid-range. They're both going to be looking for the right hand. They're both going to uh, go to the body. Both go different to the body, though. Wilder looks to, like, punch through you to the body, while Helenius looks to, like, hit you like a whip to the body. He hits you a little curve, curve his hooks to the body. Now, when Helenius is just working, which he needs to do in this fight, not put everything in the power, and it's not usually how his style is, but when he's, like, able to just kind of work and use his vision because he has very good vision like for the he's seeing a lot of things going on in there and i maybe that's like uh i'm not explaining the vision as far as like maybe if you're listening new to my podcast but when i say vision is like the top guys the top guys usually have very good vision and that means when they get on the inside they're they're still seeing a lot of openings right they're still watching they're still the eyes are still uh, monitoring all the things. We see a lot of guys, maybe lesser guys, they 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 get inside and then their eyes, their heads go somewhere. Dead. They look down. They're it's it's like if everything is like happening too close and they can't seem to focus on one thing. I think Helenius has very good vision. I think he's he's always kind of looking for a shot. He's always kind of paying attention to see if there's an opening for him. And I think early on in this fight, he he could be taken into Wilder a little bit. I think he'd be landing jabs. And if he's just working, he might be catching Wilder a lot in this fight. Now, there's going to be a point, though, where Wilder's going to land because Helenius isn't great at defense. He fights with his chin straight up. He fights tall. And when he puts his guard up, it's you could get through it. If you look at, the like I said, the, the Washington fight where Washington punches right through his guard, and that's what I picture Wilder to do at one point. He's going to punch right through his guard. And like I said, you're going to stay at Wilder's range enough. He's going to catch you. Now, Elaine's is going to have to stand up to that shot at one point. I'm going to put money on that he doesn't. But if he does, if he does stand up to that shot, and he's able to go some rounds, and like I said, the Elaine's stay into those ranges, and Elaine's is going to land some shots, and his shots may start adding up. And remember, Wilder's been knocked out twice in the last two fights. I think it's going to get interesting. I think this fight's just different from the beginning. I think it might be interesting in the middle because Wilder could just knock Helenius out cold. But if he doesn't, then I think the second half of this fight is going to get even more interesting. I don't think Helenius winning this fight is outrageous. I even think you could make a case for it. Now, I'm going to say that Helenius wins the first half of this fight. And in the, about the fourth, fifth, sixth round, when Wilder finds his range, right? When Wilder starts... Um, Sit him with that right hand with his left hand. When he starts double-stepping to find his spot, I think he's going to put it on Helenius, and Helenius isn't going to move. I think Helenius is going to stand tall. He's going to put, put, put a guard up that isn't precise, a, a guard up that's just hoping that something uh, takes something off of that right hand, and I think that right hand is going to sneak right through the middle. 
I think when that happens, I think this fight's over. To that point, though, I think Helene is going to tag up Wilder at the beginning of this fight. And I think there will be some fun exchanges to start this fight, but I think Helene is going to get the better of it. I don't know if that shows diminishment of Wilder, because I don't think that does. I think that's just kind of how Wilder, Wilder fight goes. But we have to see what Wilder has left. Like I said, I'm going to take Wilder in this fight by stoppage. I don't think that's a shocker. I think that's pretty much how everyone has it. But I do think you can make a case for Helene's winning this fight. I think you could make a very good case of just the range, the way he works, the confidence he got from the Kanaki number two, the more coordination he had from that. And if he can get his legs moving as coordinated as they were in the second Kanaki fight, and he's not standing in front of Wilder, that's going to give him a much better chance. And it's just going to take slight movement of not standing in front of him. Because in the if you look at Helena's versus Kanaki one or Helena's versus uh, Washington, where he's doing very good in the fight, but he's just standing in front of him, he's just giving you enough opportunity at the right range. If he could find a little more confidence right where he can and find the coordination that he had in the second Kanaki fight it's getting a little rhythm and not stand in front of wilder i'm gonna say that right now if he if he has some movement where he is able to go left or right and stay coordinated with his offense he's gonna win this fight but if he's goes back to just fighting in range fighting tall he's gonna have success but he's not going to be able to avoid that shot all night. And that shot's going to come, and it's going to end the night. On the co-main event, we have the return of Caleb Plant. I, I think the Caleb Plant, uh, he's fighting uh, Anthony Durrell. And I, I really think the Caleb Plant kind of... I understand he took the loss. I understand there was a, you know, it was a brutal loss uh, to Canelo. I thought... He, I thought he, he was a competitive fight. I thought he made a good account for himself. I thought he got the rub from Canelo. It got a, even more tension than before. I thought he would get right back out there, honestly. I thought he would get a tune-up or get whatever he needed, but keep his face back out there and put himself in position for a really big fight to end this year. Um, that wasn't the case. Just kind of seemed like he took a long break. He uh, he switched trainers, um, which I see happen a lot with fighters. After they lose, and I, you know, I would just like for a fighter to lose. Like, okay, and Wilder may be the worst example of this, right? Because after he lost to Fury the second time, he, you know, it was just there's a lot of drama happening after that. But after he lost the third time, he didn't fire um, his trainer. He didn't say like, "Oh, I need a brand new team." No, he just said, "We're gonna keep building on what we we're working on." And I think that that sometimes shows like. I don't know. It's sometimes you just lose a fight. I don't think you need to get rid of everyone that got you to that point, right? Or the success you had. I don't think you need to like, oh, we got rid of everyone. We're gonna start from scratch now. It was that guy's fault. To me, that sounds like a lot lack of confidence. But Caleb Penn did do that. Now, interesting enough, his trainer Breadman uh, was the trainer for Cameron Davis when he fought Anthony Durrell last, and he had some success in that fight. I believe the fight was a draw. Now, Anthony Durrell is a guy that. Um, He's always been a contender, but he's never really had like the jump up to be like the top guy in the weight division. He's definitely toward you know to the end of his career and looking to make one last final run. And a win over Caleb Plant would be huge for him to maybe possibly get a David Benavides rematch, maybe throw himself in a potential uh Jamal Charlo fight, or even you know, outside outside chance of like a Canelo matchup, right? If they get like a three fight deal with PBC and one of the matchups, Anthony Durrell. 
So there's a lot at stake for this fight. Now, if Caleb Plant wins this fight, he can go fight, you know, set himself up for the names, the, the same names besides maybe Canelo. I don't see a rematch happen with Canelo anytime soon. I think, you know, Caleb Plant's a big favorite in this fight. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. I think Anthony Durrell is very good when he when he's allowed to fire his range and he's and someone doesn't make him, you know, have to use his movement. Because that's the one thing that Anthony Durrell really suffers in in boxing. He doesn't have good movement. He doesn't have good feet. Now, when he's planted, he's very dangerous. Good power, good speed. Um, good variety of punches and angles. But his feet are no good. I mean, it's just that's just honest truth of it. His feet are not good enough for a guy like Caleb Plant. His feet are not good enough for you know that high, the highest levels of boxing. And Caleb Plant is going to do what I'm sure Bremen saw that Cameron Davis was able to do, who's a lesser fighter, way lesser fighter than Caleb Plant. And he's going to be able to move Anthony Durrell around. He's going to be able to jump in when he wants. And push Anthony Durrell off his spot. That's another thing is that Anthony Durrell's feet aren't just bad coming forward. They're actually bad when he has to get pushed back. And a guy like Caleb Plant, who I think people want to say he has no power, but I think he has a little pop. A little more pop than people give him credit for. Can push a guy like Durrell back. And when he pushes Durrell back, he completely loses himself. And he has to reset. Now, will Durrell have moments in this fight? Sure, he's an experienced fighter. He'll find a way to get some shots off. Right, especially if Caleb Plant uh, gets a little overconfident when it comes to the range. But I think Caleb Plant's going to put in a boxing lesson in this fight. Now, I don't pick him to get the stoppage, but I do pick him to win by a wide margin in this fight. I think he's going to move Darrell around. I think he's going to um, take him off his spot. I think he's if Darrell stumbles in, he's going to make him pay for it. I really expect Caleb Plant to win a one-sided fight here. And it's just all because of the feet, all because of the legs. Now, uh, if Durrell's going to have success in this fight, he's got the punches way in. And the reason why he has to punch his way in because he doesn't have the legs to make up the ground. So he's going to have to punch his way in that makes Keelah Plant stay at home. Um, and that will allow him to get his feet behind the punches. A lot of times, like a really good fighter, is his legs set up his punches. But if you lack the footwork, your punches have to set up your legs to get you in the right position. And that would allow him to get on the inside. Another thing Durrell's going to have to do is make Caleb Plant pay when he gets greedy and jumps in. And he looks to come in first and respond first, and Durrell's going to have to make a pay for that. Those are the two spots that he's going to have to be in. So make Caleb Plant play, um, pay when he comes in and punch first and move your feet in the position you need to get in to get on the inside. Might be a frustrating night for Anthony Durrell. And if Caleb Plant wins this fight, I think it's a, I think there's a good chance we see uh, finally the David Benavides fight. Now, I, I do imagine Canelo is going to go to the PBC next and sign a, a deal to fight Jamal Charlo or ben, David Benavides. But it might be like a, he might take a year break. So this if David Benavides wants a big fight, Caleb Plant's right there. He needs a big fight. Th this fight only makes too much sense, and it's a fight that everybody's wanted for a long time. So I think that's the direction they will go. I think it's an interesting fight. Don't I'm saying this is a one-sided fight for Caleb Plant and Durrell, but I still think it's an excellent matchup because if you want Caleb Plant to, you know, Caleb Plant doesn't want to face the top, top dogs right now. Anthony Durrell is just like a notch below that. I thought he gave David Benavides a pretty competitive fight until, you know, until it was over. 
I think he's the perfect name for this type of matchup. So I think it's a, I think it's a very fun matchup. On the opening belt, you have Gary Antonio Russell versus Emmanuel Rodriguez in a rematch where uh, a headbutt happened in the first fight, and the fight stopped in the first round. Now, I think this is an excellent matchup. Maybe the matchup going under the radar. Um, Emmanuel Rodriguez only lost his two in a way. Gary Antonio Russell has uh, zero defeats. Both guys are very talented. Uh, both guys can box. Both guys can do a lot of things in the ring. Uh, good legs, good defensively, good timing, uh, good offenses. But I think Gary Antonio Russell is a little more um, takes some chances, doesn't need everything to be perfect. And I think Emmanuel Rodriguez kind of wants things to be perfect, especially coming off of his loss to in a way where he got uh, knocked out. That might also affect his... Uh, you know, willingness to to really take some chances in in his last fight, uh, which he well, it wasn't his last fight, but the fight after the interway fight, uh, which he lost a decision. So actually, yeah, he has two losses. Let me confirm that. What Emmanuel Rodriguez has? He actually has two losses, or that the, that was a draw? But I know he didn't get a win right after. Yeah, he has two losses. And the reason why he got the, the second loss is because he wasn't he wasn't looking for his offense. He wasn't creating his offense. He was he wanted everything to be perfect. He was moving around and never truly letting go or putting his impact on the fight. I think that Russell is gonna do that. He's there's he's not gonna um be waiting. He's not gonna need everything to be perfect. He's just gonna look to make things happen. He also has the busier uh right hand because he's southpaw so his right hand with his jab is, is a lot busier than I think that Emmanuel Rodriguez is I think it's an interesting fight might turn into like a little bit of a chess match Um, might not be like the most high pace or high action fight but I think it's going to be a very smart competitive fight that I'll take Gary Antonio Russell to take the decision just because I said he has a mentality that where he's still willing to take some chances not everything has to be perfect for him to get going I will take him in this fight. But I think that's a definitely a fight to pay attention to and to watch out for. A lot of times these undercards on these main events and this is kind of fight like a wilder where maybe it's like you're at a party or something like that. A lot of people don't pay attention to these uh, undercard fights, right? And especially like a fight like Gary, uh, Gary Antonio Russell versus Manny Rodriguez. I think smaller guys, it's just it's just not going to get the love, right? That it uh, maybe, you know, maybe deserves. I think it's a fight to pay attention to. If you can get in front of a TV and watch it, I think it's a, it's a very interesting fight. Um, Frank Sanchez is on the undercard. I Everyone knows that I'm higher on Frank Sanchez than most. I think that he's a, a very, very dangerous guy in the heavyweight division. So I think he's worth to watch. It's a fight that he should win pretty comfortably. But Frank Sanchez has the one thing of hurting himself is like he does not perform or look to entertain or have the moment that he needs to have when he faces a guy that he should be. So... Although I am high on Frank Sanchez, I am willing to admit that this could very, very, very easily be a 12-round snooze fest. That's just Frank Sanchez. Some guys are just like that. Okay, there is, a, like I said, there's multiple cards. But the next card I'm going to talk about, I'm just going to talk about the main event. And it's it's not a fight that I don't think people, I don't think anyone's really excited for. But, you know, kind of curious what it looks like. And that's Devin Haney versus Ken Bosos, number two. Now, is does this fight did this fight need to be a rematch? Contractually, yes. But like as far as entertainment value, no. As far as like interest in it, no. As far as 
importance to the division? No, it didn't need to be that. It was clear cut that Devin Haney was the better man when they fought. Um, I understand that Kemba uh, was the champion at the point, right, where he had all the belts. It, it still didn't matter. Uh, there was nothing in that fight that said this rematch needs to happen besides the contract they signed. Um, there were some people saying that, like, this fight didn't need to happen. They could have won and fought Cambosos. I, you know, I've heard from writers, uh, good sources, that, no, this fight needed to happen. There was no getting out of this. This is what Cambosos, uh, when he beat Tifima Lopez, they put him in the driver's seat to, you know, make some good money, to have the, finally get the to be the A side, to put himself in a spot where he was going to be able to almost basically cash out in boxing. This was it. He got paid good in the first one. He's going to get paid this good in this one. This fight was always going to happen. There was no way of avoiding it. So, we got, so we're here. And everyone's kind of expecting the same thing, right? Uh, I've heard some people say that they think maybe Haney could stop him this time. But the truth is that Haney probably could just outbox him the same way. And just jab him, move around the ring, and jab him, rinse and repeat. Now, I think if you went to a lot of people and said... What could Cambosos do different? They're all going to say he needs to put pressure. He needs to be more active. He needs to come forward. I'm going to say the opposite. I don't think Cambosos was ever good coming forward. I think that he dropped um, Tiafimo, and we assumed that. I'm telling you, those things like that, when someone gets dropped unexpectedly, it stays in your mind, and people just, that's all they remember from that fight. But when really he was a counterpuncher in that fight. In fights that he struggled at, like against Lee, Lee Shelby, he came forward in those fights. He struggled in those fights. I thought he lost against Lee Shelby. Against Devin Haney, I think coming forward, I don't I don't expect a different result. Now, maybe, you know, he came forward in the last fight and he, he was stuck. He kind of got stuck in the middle of the ring, honestly, but he still came forward and he, he wasn't able to do anything. Now, maybe he could take more chances. Sure, if he comes forward, he can do that. But I think, honestly, his best chance of winning it, the most interesting option he could do is just to dance around the ring and make Haney come be, be the aggressor. Make Haney get aggressive. Make Haney create the offense, and you respond because that's what Cambosos is actually best at. So it's it's not going to be, uh, you know, Haney's a smart fighter. He's not going to just get out of his game just because Cambosos starts to move around the ring. And you already seen that there's not really anything that that is make that would like Haney doesn't need to get a stoppage in this fight. He just needs to win. There's nothing enticing him to really go at it and entertain the fans and entertain the crowd because he's gonna get he has the belts. Lomachenko's right there. Lomachenko wants the belts. Lomachenko's the top ranks, you know, that's their big name at 135. Haney's their second biggest name, I guess, at 135. It only makes sense that they match up. So that fight's going to happen as long as Haney wins. That's all he has to do is win. But if Campos can't get him to come forward, Campos can get Haney to be the aggressor, that I think would benefit him in a big way. And he would all he have to do is respond. And he would ha- let Haney have to step into range. And with Campos not having to earn the range, right? And not having to work past the figure out how to work past the jab, he would be able to do what he does best. That's what I believe that he has to do in this fight. How do I see the fight going? I think most likely it's Cambosos stuck in the middle of the ring again. I think Cambosos gets killed with the jab again. 
Maybe he takes a few more chances in this fight, gets a little more aggressive in this fight. I don't think he gets stopped in this fight. I just think that he loses a decision again. I think it maybe rinse and repeat. But I'm saying if I'm Kembosos, I'm Kembosos' corner, I'm making Haney be the aggressor in this fight. You already had a, a snooze fest last one. Honestly, Kembosos is getting paid so well, he don't really have to fight again after this. If you throw another snooze fest, what does it really matter, right? But I think that your best chances here is making Haney come get you. I'm curious what to see that looks like. I'm curious what Haney responds if Kembosos moves around the ring like that. Does he become the aggressor? Does he get out of his game? Or does he, you know, just look to pick one shot at a time? Be patient. Not let not let it get ahead of him, right? And what does that look like, him coming forward? Is he as effective? What does Kembosos look going backwards? Is he countering better? Is he faster? Is he not having to earn that range? So now he's able to just react. Because when is reacting, he's a lot better than what he is going forward. That's, that's just the truth. I think that the, there was a wrong narrative on him as far as like he's a come forward fighter. I don't believe that at all. I think he's a, I think he's a uh, go backwards fighter. He's a counter puncher. He's a he's a guy that likes to respond, other than create. Like I said, Haney just has to win this fight. Lomachenko's there for him. Shakur Stevenson's coming. Tia Fimo is uh, weight above him. Uh, Josh Taylor. There's. Plenty of opportunity for Haney. He's got one more fight. He's a free agent from top rank. So he just has to win this fight. Nothing really entices him to get the stoppage like that. But if he does, that'd be pretty, as far as like fans, right? And, and grabbing that kind of attention, I think that'd be a pretty good uh, thing for him. It's a jam-packed weekend. I'm glad I got this podcast out. Let me tell you, it wasn't easy getting this podcast out. I'm going to tell you that right now. And if I'm not talking my clearest and I'm not my sharpest, I apologize, but I appreciate you guys tuning in. Move something here. Um, you guys know where to find me. I always point the wrong one. You guys know where to find me. And uh, thank you guys for listening. It's been the Ezra Podcast. <laughs>